A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. Hey, welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. I'm Ishan, a sleep specialist in San Francisco. If you listen to my other episodes, you possibly know this already. The first line treatment for insomnia is CBTI, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. This is a non-medication treatment, and if you have been on medication for a long time, using this method possibly can help you reduce the dosage and eventually get off the sleep medication. If you are interested in this method, How can you find the right provider for that? And also within the sleep medicine field, what have been done to really help promote the accessibility and help more patients with insomnia to get the right treatment? Today, I'm gonna continue my conversation with Dr. Colleen Carney, Canada's leading expert in psychological treatment for insomnia, especially CBTI. Let's go ahead and find out more. Dr. Carney, welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I know CBTI, right? Well-trained CBTI providers are very limited number globally, possibly not a lot, especially sleep psychologists who can know psychology, can, can really do this kind of very nice individual work, also know sleep very well. I know there's a trend globally use more or develop more electronic platform or apps. Even you, your team develop sleep-related app to really help with the accessibility. I, I like to say two things about accessibility in terms of in-person providers, but um, as far as um, online platforms and so on, the reality is a well-developed app or electronic sleep program, Some because they vary in, in how they are. Some of them are that you are getting a um, computer-assisted therapy. So you really are kind of interacting with the therapist, but a lot of it is interacting with the program. And some of it is fully automated, almost like self-help, essentially interacting with the system. The app that we developed wasn't actually an adult system. It's actually for teens. The reason why I developed it is that CBTI has uh, is effective for teens. But if you look to see how many people are actually allowed in the studies to do those treatments, it's a little bit limited. And it's because the types of sleep problems that we see in teens aren't typically just insomnia. Typically, they have what looks like hypersomnia, what looks like insomnia, what looks like circadian rhythm disorder so that they are delayed very late. They get sleepy very, very late and wake up very late. And some of it may be behavioral, but but most of it is really uh, hormonal and made worse by early start times at school. Allison Harvey at University of California, Berkeley, developed a transdiagnostic treatment that takes behavioral sleep medicine techniques, so evidence-based techniques, and applies it to special cases, one of them being teens, 
um, but she also has done quite a lot of work in bipolar disorder, and her work has been adapted in a group in the UK uh, for psychotic disorders as well, so serious mental illness. And so I wanted to, um, I, unlike in adults, where when people email me, and people email me all over the world, and they say, where is there somebody near me? And I have to say, I have pretty good success being able to hook them up with someone. And we do have these other online programs and self-help to help, but, but oftentimes I can find someone for adults. We have wonderful sites like in the US, we have the American Academy or Sleep Medicine for providers, but we also have the Society for Behavioral Sleep Medicine has a provider list. In Canada, we have the Canadian Sleep Society provider list. But I know as somebody who organizes in Canada and having worked in the US that not everyone goes on those lists. People who are connected and have a network can often find people in the area and hook them up. But what I, the reason why I'm bringing this up is that I have such a hard time finding services for teens because I know lots of pediatric specialists, but they don't necessarily work in teens. Teen sleep problems aren't kid sleep problems at all. They don't look like that at all. And, they, and so using those are not appropriate and there's going to create a um, power struggle. But they're also not many adults either because their problems tend to be like sleeping too much on the weekend, but sleeping too little on the week. So I call it skimpy and bloated sleep. And then they also have that, that night owl, like extreme night owl. We need people with that specialty to work with teens. And I have the darndest time finding people. So we decided that we were going to try to make Allison Harvey's transdiagnostic treatment. We were going to translate it into an app. And it took a long time. And I actually developed it with teens. So I knew what the treatment was going to be, but I didn't know if they would do it. I just had teens you know, like, I need you to do this. How could I convince you to do it? Like, well, no, we couldn't, you couldn't convince me, but if you gave me the information and then you gave me feedback on my sleep and encouraged me to make the change, but said it was up to me, then I might decide to make a change. I said, okay. So that's the way the app is. So they, they're monitoring their sleep. They get automated um, feedback on their sleep. And it says, it probably would help if you worked on this, this, or this. And then they decide, do you want to work on this? If so, what's going to be your goal? And they can pick whatever goal they want. It's not the goal I usually want, but it's work. Like they'll pick something. So let's say where I might want them to get up within an hour of the alarm going off. They may say two hours within getting up. And I'm not, you know, not thrilled, but it's movement. And now the good thing is, is if they've picked that as a goal, there's other places in the app where they can get tips to help them with it. But at the end of the two weeks, it's going to give them feedback. And if they've kept to their two hours and their sleep has improved, but only a little, then there'll be a reminder saying, way to go. Just a reminder that if you were to tighten this up a little bit more, you probably would get better results. Are you happy with your results right now? Or would you like to go a little further? And they can decide if they stop there or go further. I think that there are a lot of opportunities for apps that can help. Unfortunately, there's a lot of apps that are not evidence-based and not particularly helpful, unfortunately. And I think it's hard to wade through all that's out there. But I do think that, yes, it's true that there's not a lot of providers, but at least in North America, 
I think that we have some decent amount of coverage. And what I mean by that is, is that you want to at least have somebody who is less than a state away or a province away. And some people say, well, that's terrible. But that's what would happen if you had cancer and you wanted to go to the specialist. Do you know what I mean? Like you would you would make the drive. And this session can be done in as little as two sessions for some people. So it is possible. COVID has taught us that we can do teletherapy and video therapy. And that um, everything that we're doing is through um, video conferencing. And there's data to support it too. So yes, I agree that it's difficult to get a specialist, but I also think we need to stop walking around with an attitude that there's no one to see and have an attitude that I'm going to find someone for this person. I spent about five hours a week, either me or my assistant, finding someone for someone somewhere in the world. And I think people need to also take that on themselves. What I, I always introduce myself to people and like, oh, I'm in North Dakota. Oh, I don't know anybody in North Dakota. Where do you practice? What is your, you know, what is your training? Who else do you know? Um, do you have anybody who does uh, CPAP adherence or apnea treatment? So I think that there, I think that we can't be too negative about this because I know that everyone likes to say that in BSM. But the fact is, is that there's a lot of people I, I train, I do workshops. I mean, not during COVID. I, I do about 20 workshops a year. Wow like a lot. And there can be 200 people in the room. And that training uh, is the same training that we used to train people in the VA system when we rolled out CBTI. You know, it's good advanced training. We have a problem. I think that we're making really good headway and that we have to keep being optimistic and like putting clients first, trying to find something for them. This is wonderful. Yes, I only know the very big provider list you mentioned in North America. If there's any other resources you have, I would love to put them on the um, podcast website for people to know. See, we have a lot more resources. We can really get the help. I also want people really find legit providers, at least have some right solid training like the workshop you provided because I noticed some of people I know, I don't even know what kind of training they get. Possibly they just went to a CE class online one hour and they say they can treat insomnia very comfortably in their marketing material. Mm-hmm. As someone I know this field, I would be I would not be comfortable to see them as a patient, but I think generally people won't know how to tell who has good training. I agree. I mean, I think that is a difficulty and we really wrestled with it in Canada. Um, I was fighting for some accreditation or some sort of guidelines for to um, accredit people and people were very reluctant to do that. So we all ultimately decided not to, but at the same time, as far as getting on the list that we have, the provider list, we usually reach out to people that we know and say, you know, we'd really like you to go be on this list. There are some people on the list who have only taken two or three workshops, but they've been all days and they're experts in CBT for other disorders and so on. So often they're like, you know, fellows in ABCT or CACBT. So they're like CBT accredited or even like the um, American Academy of, uh, sorry, or the Academy of Cognitive Therapy, sorry, ACT. 
there's been other ways to kind of vet people as well. So that's what we've been trying to do. There's been some organizations that have really tried to keep it psychology specific, and I don't think that's right. Um, I do think the evidence tells us that um, with mental health training, that that this it's probably something that we could um, that we really could train. And I think we really, I, I, I really like Jack Edinger's stepped care model, right. Mm, that yeah. really we can have lots of information here. And I think we, I do a lot of work on family care with mm. family care and family health. And I have noticed such a tremendous interest in family care and family health to get training and to be able to identify, um, sleep disorders to do what they can. So they usually, a lot of them have developed a group therapy within the practice, but also um, I've trained them on um, their pharmacists and other doctors on how to um, hypnotic discontinuation. I've helped them with their materials to be written in motivational interviewing in terms of trying to get people interested in stopping their medication. And this is what we can offer in place. I've noticed a tremendous, the last certainly five years, but maybe even 10, this real interest um, on the front lines, where which is the broadest base of that pyramid of people saying, we want good information. I heard you say that sleep hygiene is not effective. We can't believe it because that's what we do. So what, what do we do instead? And, um, and they invite me out to come meet with them. So I really think that, that there's a lot of positive signs that people are becoming educated and wanting to incorporate this into practice. And we, you know, we have a ways to go, but um, I am very encouraged with how much progress we've made over the last certainly five years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think psychologists who are also specialized in sleep medicine do have some kind of advantage, like know how to work with very complicated cases. Mm -hmm. But I also over the past several years, I have like do some online collaboration and training with some Chinese doctors Mm -hmm. in the traditional Chinese medicine field. They are now some are psychologists or have psychology background. They can be nurses, they can be just uh, MD doctors, but they pick up the knowledge and they deliver that to the Chinese patients in their own sleep clinic or in their own hospital, and they are doing great. And I also witnessed so many doctors came to Stanford for like visiting one year. They really mm-hmm. learn this method and bring it back to China and great success. So I agree this field, if we want it to grow, we are doing much better and it is spreading to people with different backgrounds and a lot of patients eventually going to be the ones to benefit. Yeah, and I and I love that um, you and other people in our field are taking it seriously to reach out and to disseminate this treatment. I remember ten years ago, people talking about, "Oh, are we like disseminating ourselves out of out of jobs?" <laughs> and I mean, ultimately, you know, again, if we're thinking about a pyramid of stepped care, a sleep medicine specialist is going to be at the top of that pyramid we'll always need the top of the pyramid for complex cases. And so it's people with specialty training that will always be there. So no, we're not training ourselves out of jobs. We're just trying to fill the need on all these other more broad-based levels below us to, um, and they can do a great job. They won't be able to treat every case. There will be cases that will be too difficult, but they'll be able to make a real impact on what is a huge 
prevalent problem in society. Yeah, great. I really think the field is going forward very optimistically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a great field. I mean, we really—it's、um, a baby, really. When you look at how many years this has existed as a specialty, or even when you think of discoveries like REM sleep and and、um, all of the really major discoveries that have happened, how young this field is, and how we've leapt forward leap years. You know, a lot of the the pioneers of our area are still alive. Right. I remember when we think about, you know, the general public don't know much about CBTI or sleep medicine. Understandable when I think about my own experience because I did not have any sleep training until late stage of my postdoc residency in Kaiser Permanente. Before that, all I did was sleep hygiene. <laughs> Everyone coming with sleep concern, I was like, "Oh, other than psychotherapy, let's talk about sleep hygiene." But then quickly, I, rem- I, I remember I noticed it's not really working for a lot of people. It's not enough. Why? Like, what else? That's the only thing I know about sleep. Fortunately, I was able to get more and more training in both Kaiser and Stanford and get to know. That's also why I started this podcast because when I entered this field, I realized, wow, I cannot believe how big this field is and how lack of knowledge I have been over all these years. I grew up in a family. Now I know with a lot of sleep histories. My dad like snore for years loudly. His doctor himself, and none of us ever know. Oh, this is a sleep disorder. We all think it's normal for people to snore. All my friends' dad basically snore. So in China, so I think well. Yeah, it's not everyone snores. Basically, if you are lucky, you don't. But it's a normal thing. So it's just a lot of things we don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think that's the case. I think that sleep apnea was one of those things that,、um, in terms of educating people about、um, early start times, shift work, how dangerous shift work is. These are areas of public health that we still have a long way to go, but we've made some inroads. I know in the province next to mine in Quebec, that's where Charles Moran runs all of his research and clinical work. There is a Uh, an amazing public health campaign. It's in French. There are huge signs along the highway that basically sleepy driving is equals death. And there are areas to、um, pull off. Like they they encourage you into almost like rest areas or whatever that it's time to pull off. And really emphasizing, you know, it's not okay to drive drowsy. There's so much opportunity in terms of public health and knowledge training for people to recognize sleep disorders. You mentioned narcolepsy at the beginning of the podcast, and that's an under-recognized, under-diagnosed problem. But I'm blanking on the、um, foundation name. But there's a, a, a narcolepsy awareness group that just does incredible work. But they really have done such an amazing job of training. I mean, even doctors don't even know how to recognize narcolepsy.、Um, they think of it as more like the pop culture, like just somebody like just falling down and having a sleep attack, which it's it's really not. It's one of those diagnoses diagnoses that can look very different across people. It can look subtle in some ways. <laughs> 
Um, and yet it's very easy for us to diagnose if we can do a sleep study. But anyway, I mean, I think that there's just, there still is so much opportunity. There's um, so much opportunity for us to make CBT even more accessible. But um, my work is also on trying to figure out how to get even more people to benefit from it. So who are these people who don't benefit from CBT and what can we do to help? I think it's an exciting time right now. It is. Yeah. um, Just add one more thing. When you talk about narcolepsy, it's very hard to diagnose. Doctors don't know. I definitely, because I, uh, my postdoc was in child adolescent psychiatry. So I definitely see teens came in to see me say they, because they have hallucinations and they're very bizarre symptoms and doctors think they, they have, you know, psychotic uh, symptoms. They, they have like depression or other mental illnesses, but then just sounds like really look like narcolepsy or some kind of sleep disorders, but took them a while to figure out or, yeah. yeah. I remember when I was doing an assessment in graduate school, there was a very large Asian population where I was assessing. And I noticed that a lot of them were endorsing for sleep paralysis. Ah. And I didn't know there is a, a slightly greater prevalence uh, as an isolated symptom. It was to make sure that I asked questions about narcolepsy, but that was one of the things. And I just started giving people feedback during their debrief about what sleep paralysis is and that it's normal. And the relief on people's faces when they would be, when they be told, I'm like, gosh, we need to find a way to get this information more in the mainstream about what sleep paralysis is, because it is really frightening and people often don't talk about it. So I remember that um, I continued to ask about sleep paralysis, even if I didn't need it, because then I would be able to give the feedback to people when they would be able to understand what it was. I still do it in my classes. You know, when we talk about sleep, I always talk about sleep paralysis because it really freaks people out. Right. Freak me myself out before because it, we have the culture belief it's ghost related. But yeah, it's it's great. You you really notice those culturally like specific belief and really emphasize that. So at the end of the show, I just want to ask you any final wisdom to Everyone who is listening right now, they either have questions about sleep or they struggling with some kind of sleep difficulties, uh, or maybe some audience don't know how to find a provider, anything you like, any last word you want send out? Well, I mean, I think with North America, I think that we have some degree of good coverage. If you're going to Google the Society for Behavioral Sleep Medicine and use the Find a Provider There are also organizations like the Association for um, Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies, which have accredited CBT providers, maybe not in sleep specifically, but if there's somebody that you have found that is offering sleep treatment um, and and you want to check them and they're not in the provider list, you can also check to see if they are accredited in that way. It's actually that you are a fellow. There's a vetting process for that. Um, in Canada, we have the Canadian Sleep Society, and there's a find a provider. We are working right now, like literally this week, on um, adding a map so it'll be easier across Canada to find providers. Because right now we have a map for accredited sleep clinics, but we don't actually have it for providers. If you do know of a place that you can't access, but you know somebody's there, you can always email them. 
So, I mean, I get a lot of emails every single week and I know that everyone does. And if you do, and you ask somebody, then they can usually say, oh gosh, Oregon. Um, no, I don't know anybody in Oregon, but give me a few days and I'll check. And then I can ask people in surrounding states or whatever about, does anybody know, you know, and then somebody can say, oh, well, that's close to whatever. And then they can try and find somebody. Um, but I think that's kind of the best way to go. And then if you do have a sleep clinic near you, do some searches on their website, because if there isn't a lot of detail about the treatment, I think you'd want to ask them, do you provide cognitive behavior therapy? And what does that look like? If they give you an answer that really is, if, if they're mentioning things like sleep hygiene, I think that's a bit of a red flag that maybe they don't have updated um, specialist knowledge. So I think that's something to be on the lookout for. I always think that you should ask questions of any therapist that you're going to see. You should audition any therapist that you want to see. And so look for a comfort level, but look for, you know, even maybe get a, a, a small, like a self-help book so that you know what the treatment is. And it might help to have somebody go through it. But if they're not evidence-based, then they're not going to be going through the stuff that's in that book. Right. Great. Wonderful suggestions. Thank you very much, Dr. Kearney, for coming to the show, sharing all this wonderful knowledge with our audience. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. It was great. So do you have difficulties locate a sleep center or a sleep specialist around you? If so, please feel free to leave me a comment, review, or email me. I will see whether I can help you to navigate the resources better. I will also put a lot of these resources links on my show note website at deepintosleep.co. If you want to find more about Dr. Carney's work, you can go to her website at drcolleencarney.com. Also, I have developed a CBTI course in Chinese to help you solve your insomnia problems. If you speak Chinese and need the help and need a cheap intervention for it, please check it out at my clinic's website, mindbodygarden.com insomnia. I really hope you all doing well, sleep well, and be healthy. Stay safe out there, and I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk, and our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, Go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.